0: Morning, everybody. Good crowd this morning. I'm glad for uh, your presence with us. Uh, My name is Charlie. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are in my pirate ship or battleship, uh, kids, there we are. There we go. If you're kindergarten through fifth grade, we have uh, a special environment made just for you this morning. So Well, uh, who was here last week uh, for Missional Community Sunday? Were you here last week as we celebrated that? I I was so excited about that. Like the stories that we that we got to hear and share and uh, and find out what God is doing through community, man, it's just so exciting and fun. I mean, I've kind of lived off of that all week and and just been really excited for what God uh, did. Now we move from uh, a uh, you know we do missional communities from about August to May, and then we take a little bit of a break in June and July and. Um, and, and so we move from, what I like to say, community to corporate, where we where you go from small groups to one huge large group to serve our community and to connect. And so that's why we do things like movies at Cane Bay and while we're looking forward to our Independence at Cane Bay event on July 4th. I mean, those are not just uh, fun events, although they are incredibly fun and they're really cool and they're growing like crazy. Uh, they really are a chance for us to connect with uh, with the people of our community. I mean, we, we want to love on people. Uh, we want to uh, make friends with them. Most, uh, most, if not a lot of you, are you know, here because you came to some event that we had, or you heard that we serve, and, and that you wanted to engage with that, or maybe somebody in, invited you through that. And so, um, you know, we want to give back. We want to join that kind of force that makes that happen. And so, I'd, I'd hope that you'd hear the call for volunteers and stuff like that. That you'd answer that call and be involved in that, and be be there and use your skills in some kind of way to connect with that. Of course, uh, you know, this week with Devin Forrest, I mean, it's such a huge part of our vision. And, and David shared with you uh, just how uh, important it is. For to get involved and volunteer. I mean, we're really hoping to reach the people uh, of Goose Creek, uh, specifically in that area of Devon Forest, because it's an area that we really don't do a whole lot of work in, there's not a whole lot of presence of a church there, and so uh, and there's just a lot of people, and so it's our it's our job to go there, kind of prime the pump and then we'll build something out of we'll build uh, a worship gathering, missional communities out of the people who are living there and so we want you to help us get uh, get that started, as there are people who started in Cane Bay, uh, getting this started, and so I hope you be a part of that process, I'm really excited for our future uh, we've got some really cool stuff uh, just coming our way, and uh, it's always exciting. I mean, it's good. This is the first uh, first day of summer according to the school calendar, and we, you know, there's a huge gathering here. And so I would hope that just, I mean, our church is just going to continue to grow in this way and we need to continue to spread uh, spread out so we can uh, make the gospel known to every man, woman, and child. And so we're excited about that. Now, uh, we're in the midst of a uh, great series through the book of, uh, the first five chapters of the book of of Acts. So if you have a Bible with you, Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to be, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. Uh, Of course, you can catch it on your phone. If you have the Bible app uh, on your phone. One of the cool things about that is we've set up on a live, you can click on the live tab and you can actually follow the notes on your phone, which is pretty cool. Uh, If all else fails, you'll see them on the screen behind me. But we'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. It's kind of important. So Acts chapter 2, so we're going to be today. So let me catch you up because it's been a couple weeks. Uh, We started uh, Acts chapter 1, working verse by verse through this thing. And what we saw was is kind of the aftermath of the resurrection of Christ. Of course, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, died on a cross for our sins, and then he was resurrected to life and he lives today. And then we see in the first chapter of Acts, his ascension back to the Father in heaven, which is just an amazing thing, I'm sure, when when it happened. Uh, And what he tells the people is he says that you are going to be my witnesses. Say that with me. Witnesses, okay. You're going to be my witnesses, and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out onto you, and you're going to be my witnesses all over the world to make disciples. Okay, to share the gospel, to share the good news of my death and resurrection for eternal life. Okay, so that was that was the whole thing. But here's one, one of the interesting parts was as he said, I need you to wait. I need you to wait. You're not ready yet. You're not prepared yet. I need you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Okay. And so, you know, the disciples are kind of like, okay, what does that even mean? I'm not really sure. How long do we have to wait? What's the deal? How do we know when it's here? And so they, they wait, you know, about a week and a half after this happens. And, and, and so then at Pentecost, the Bible tells us that at Pentecost is when the Spirit descended. And that we read about that in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Now, Pentecost is not a word or a, or a holiday that we celebrate here in America, of course. Uh, it was a Jewish holiday that celebrated the harvest. It celebrated the blessing of God. They, they had about three of these per year. This particular one uh, was to celebrate the wheat harvest. And so they, uh, people from all over, the, basically the known world, all Jews from all over the known world would come to Jerusalem to have this party of Thanksgiving. Now, we have this in America. We call it Thanksgiving. And uh, this would look like, um, you know, like the Macy's Day Parade okay, in New York City. People from all over the country coming to to New York City, and you have all walks of life. It's a huge party. That's what's happening happening at the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the Holy Spirit comes down in the first 13 verses and descends and fills his people, or baptizes his people. And so we we heard about that a couple weeks ago. So uh, now there's two reactions to this miracle that happens. Uh, The reaction well, okay, let me, let me say this. What happened when the Spirit comes upon the people, the major thing that happens is that God relocates or uh, kind of uh, goes into his people, which is completely different. He's changing locations. He goes from, in the Old Testament, God was kind of located in the temple in Jerusalem, he was the mercy seat of God was in Jerusalem in the t- inside of the temple, and when Jesus was crucified on the cross, this miraculous thing happened where the curtain that held him in there basically was t- torn into two, symbolically kind of releasing the spirit of God a little bit. And then what we see is he moves from a temple made by man to temples made by God, and so he comes into his people and fills his people with his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It's a miraculous thing. People started using uh, languages that were, uh, that were known languages to preach the gospel. Very, very cool thing. And then at the, kind of while other people were watching this happen at Pentecost, imagine at the, Mace, you know, say the, the Macy's Day Parade. This miraculous work of God happens, right? And, you know, this huge, like, wind begins to blow. And, uh, I mean, you can see that something supernatural is happening with, you know, millions of people around. And not millions, about a you know, couple hundred thousand people at the time. And they're, they're kind of asking, what, what is going on? What is happening? That's one of the questions they asked. And then there were some people who were a little bit more skeptical, and they looked at these people who were speaking different languages, and they said, you guys are drunk. <laughs> I mean, it actually records that in the Bible. Yeah, look, I think that they're drunk. So there's some people that says... I mean, wonder what's going on here. And then there's other people like, I think you're drunk, right? So Peter, who is like, at this point, leader of the disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up for what is the first New Testament sermon after Jesus' death and resurrection, okay? And so this is, you know, first first sermon uh, that that we'll see. And Peter stands up to preach it, and we'll see it in Acts chapter 2, 14 through 22, or we'll see it through uh, 41, but we're going to read through 22 right now. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So this is about nine o'clock. Okay, 9 o'clock in the morning. So there's like, he's like, they're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. Calm down. Uh, but this is what we, was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my, give me that word, spirit and they shall prophesy and i will show wonders in the heavens above and in signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the, and the moon to blood before the day of the lord comes and the, that great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the lord shall be saved that's a great verse underline it whatever if you got a bible It uh, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, this is Peter speaking. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Okay, here's what's happening. Peter stands up. He's like, yo, these folks aren't drunk. That's not what's going on here. This is a miraculous supernatural sign that you are seeing and hearing. And he says, and this isn't a mistake. This was prophesied long ago by this guy named Joel, who is a prophet, a preacher, and he saw what was going to happen in the future and wrote it down. And so Peter quotes Joel as saying, this, the Spirit is going to come. It's going to come onto its people, on its male servants and female servants and its you know, fathers and sons and daughters. It's, it's going to happen. The Spirit is going to descend. This was part of God's plan from the very beginning. We knew that this was going to happen, and what you are seeing is, is the Spirit descending. Okay. And then he says, and this is the greatest part. This is what I love about this passage. You would think at that point that Peter would begin to explain more and more about the Holy Spirit. And he began begin this long sermon about, here's the work of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. This is what the Spirit has for you. But immediately, as soon as he explains, yes, we knew that the Spirit was going to come, he turns to Jesus and he starts talking about Jesus. And he says, all of this is for Jesus. Now that's kind of interesting. This is a movement of the Spirit. What does Jesus have to do with this? See, Peter knows he's now. See, so here's the deal: Jesus, or Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit speaking about Jesus. And why is that? We understand, here's some deep stuff for you: is that we understand that God is Trinity, okay? Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And all three of those make up the Godhead, who God is. Different manifestations of who he is, right? They're all equal, uh, but they're all different at the same time. It'll blow your mind, okay? And so what happens, though, within the Trinity, you have every single member of the Trinity that defers and reflects glory onto another member of the Trinity, It's pretty interesting in Scripture. You'll see Jesus, the Son, reflecting glory onto the Father. You'll see the Father reflecting glory onto the Son, saying, all authority is given to you. Then you'll see the Holy Spirit reflecting glory onto Jesus and illuminating Jesus. It's the most interesting show of humility and relationship in the Godhead. It's it's just so interesting to me. And so what we see is uh, Peter, who is now filled with the Holy Spirit, doing exactly what the Holy Spirit would do, which is to illuminate Jesus. He wants to show people Jesus, to focus people on Jesus. And you and I have that opportunity as well. You, as a, if you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has come into you, and now you are a, you're reflecting glory onto Jesus Christ. We do what the Holy Spirit does because the Holy Spirit is within us. All right, Now, that's a good litmus test because there's, there's all sorts of like, spirituality out there there's a lot of emotionalism out there that you might see on tv or whatever so here's a good just question as you're looking through some things or you might come upon something that uh, might look a little bit different than you're used to if, if there's some kind of like very spiritual or emotional moment do those people reflect glory onto jesus christ because that's what we see in the Scripture. If they don't reflect glory unto Jesus Christ, then we have to scratch our heads and question, is this really a movement of God? It's a good question. And so as we look at people's lives and we look at our own lives, are we illuminating, are we focusing on the glory of Jesus? And that's pretty important because in our culture, we have God. There's lots of tons and millions of people that believe in this kind of awesome God, right? right? And it's kind of generic, if you will. Then we have a lot of people that say, "Well, I'm a spiritual person." My question back to them is, "Which spirit, right? All right. So, you know, is does, does the spirit that you're following have some kind of name? Is there any context or definition to that? But then you say the word Jesus. Now that's pretty specific. That's pretty narrow. It's pretty exclusive. It's pretty. It's uh, and what it is is it gets. Uh, it gets actually uh, conveys the gospel in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it can be offensive or it can be very grace-giving to people. So we have to make sure that we as filled, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit are people who reflect glory onto Jesus Christ. And the question is, at that point, who is Jesus? And Peter gives a very awesome uh, example or a, a message about who Jesus is. Let's dive in here. Uh, this is verse 22 through verse 36. and of that, we are all, give me that word, witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. So who is Jesus? There's a lot of language there. Who is Jesus? Let's walk through it. I want you to follow me through some of these verses. And so, what we're going to look at are seven things that Peter describes as what Jesus really is. So if you're wondering today, if you come into this place and you're like, you know what? I'm trying to figure this Jesus thing out. Trying to figure out what the big deal is. I don't really understand what the big deal is. I mean, okay, Christians, but really, why are you so focused on this person of Jesus? What makes him such a big deal? So let's look. The first thing is, is that Jesus is a miracle maker. Jesus is a miracle maker. Verse 22, mighty works, wonders, and signs. When Jesus' birth was proclaimed before he was even born, the virgin birth from, uh, from Mary, and then he was born, he lived a perfect life, and then he began to heal people. He began to raise them from the dead. He began to speak with authority. I mean, this guy was incredibly popular. I mean, he he healed people. He healed hundreds of people. He healed people that he wasn't even the presence of. He had amazing power. And so with mighty works of God, Jesus displayed his power. He is a miracle maker, not only of them, but Jesus is a miracle maker now. Some of you have experienced the miracle of Jesus in your own life. Some of you have seen some amazing things of the power of God that he can do in your life. And so not only is Jesus a miracle maker 2,000 years ago when he he walked the earth, he is a miracle maker now, and he is with us. He is alive. The second thing that Jesus is, is Jesus is the planned and promised sacrifice. Jesus is the planned and promised sacrifice. It says in verse 23 that it was up to the definite plan. To the the foreknowledge of God, it was no mistake that Jesus came to the earth and that He gave Himself up as a sacrifice. It wasn't like it wasn't like a you know God said, "Well, you know, hey, you're arresting Him. That really wasn't part of my plan. I had some other plans, and you guys are doing it wrong." Can we can we, can we go back and we rewind the tape a little bit? That's not what was happening in this passage. What was, what was happening in the scripture is that God had a definite plan. Jesus knew it and he was laying down his life. The scripture very clearly says that you don't take my life from me. I lay it down for you. And I put away my power so that I might be able to die for, the, for my people, for my children. He has planned he was promised, and the glory, of Je- the glory of it all is that he placed himself on the cross willingly, allowing himself to die so that he can take on our sins. So you, you and I, our sins were placed onto him, and he died in our place for our sins. The third thing is Jesus defeated death and the grave. Jesus defeated death and the grave. We'll see this in verse 24. It says, the, 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 the pangs of death were loosened. Meaning that Jesus, it was not going to stay dead. He completely conquered death altogether. And Peter's entire message hangs on this. Could you imagine if you have these people who serve a dead God? We don't serve a dead God. We serve an alive God. There is no way you can't go to Jerusalem today and see a grave with a marker of Jesus of Nazareth. It's not there. You know why? Because we serve an alive King. He's alive. He's resurrected. He's living today. It's part of the whole thing. Number four, Jesus is the son of David, the greater king. The son of David, the greater king. We'll see these in 25 through through 28. Now culturally, this is a very intense statement. You and I kind of brush past this whole thing about David and kind of interested about what David prophesied, and that's very curious. So, you know, we kind of understand kind of past Jesus. Okay, uh, Jesus was the most important character in all, of, in all of history. Yes, David was kind of a part of his lineage, and that kind of thing. But to these people in Jerusalem, David was the pinnacle of their, of their life. He was the most important uh, character in all of history. You can't say that there was a greater man than, than King David. He was the best man ever. So now you're coming along and you're saying that that Jesus is greater than David? It was shocking to them. And Peter doesn't doesn't only proclaim that. He actually says, it's not just me that says it, David said it. David said that there was going to be one who comes after him, one of his descendants who is going to be greater than him. And just declares exactly what David says. And so Jesus is the pinnacle of creation, the cornerstone of God's plan. He is the perfect one. He is the greatest king. The truer and better king than any other king that has, ever, that has ever come. He is the king of kings. This would have been incredibly shocking to the people who are listening to this message. And so we know that Jesus is, is the king of the world because of, of the proclamation that, that was before him. So the fifth thing. Jesus is the ever-present joy. Verse 28 is ever-present joy. Because he has taken away our sin, he has died for it, and he rose again, we have every reason in the world to be glad to have gladness, to have joy to laugh to shout, to sing, to thank God for the things that he has done, right we worship him in gladness and goodness and no matter how our day goes that you know, you know happiness is a little bit fleeting, right but joy this ever-present joy that Jesus gives to us through the hope of the gospel is always present with us because Jesus is with us, and he brings gladness. And we see this expressed on Sunday morning in worship, right? We see this expressed. It's why we sing. It's why we sing loud, right? Right? And we see you'll see people, you know, some of you might be these people, you know, you, you, you know this gladness just erupts in your soul, and it comes out in various kind of physical expressions, right? You'll see somebody with their hand raised in worship, just to let you know they don't have a question, right? It's not like they're trying to ask a question of a worship leader, and, but they're you know just being denied. That's not what's going on. They're just expressing themselves physically as to what's happening in their heart because the gladness of the Lord is just filling their heart, and it's a physical expression. Now, I mean, it could be something that you want to try for sure. You can start small, right? You don't have to start up here. Start right down here. Start down here. Carry the TV. Right? Widescreen. Right? 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 Some people, are, some people are here, where they're just kind of swaying, you know? Here's my fish. Here's my fish. Right? Right? I mean, it, it's a carry the baby. Carry the baby. Right? Change the light bulbs. Right? They're up here. Right here. Mufasa. Mufasa. Rocky. Right? There's all sorts of expressions in worship. Right? It, it, it just comes out because of the gladness of the Lord that's within you. Next thing about Jesus is that he is the exalted one. Jesus is exalted. It says in verse 33, this is a great passage, that he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. The Bible declares that all authority and power is given to him. All authority and power is given to him, and he receives the praises of the creation. He's no longer a poor peasant carpenter anymore. Jesus is placed at the pinnacle of creation. We worship him. He is exalted. He's the cornerstone of our faith. And lastly, Jesus is the generous Messiah. Jesus is the generous Messiah. He is exalted. Yes, he's put up on a pedestal. Yes, he deserves all of our praise, all of our magnification, all of our focus. He deserves every single bit of it. But here's the humility of Jesus. He wants us to be a part of that. He wants wants us to join him in the celebration of his victory. He is a generous, very generous Messiah. And this isn't just a one-person party. This is Jesus trying to to take his enemies. What were the, these, are, these are the people who put him on the cross, right? And he wants to save them and he wants them to come to the party. Could you imagine, right? Imagine for a second, taking people that want to kill you and then they do kill you and once you have victory over that death, you say, hey guys, I know you just killed me, but I want you to join me in the party. How weird is that? But that's what's happening. That's, that's Jesus' grace, that's his humility that is available to you. And all of the scriptures, like they culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything is for him. Everything is to him. All the worship goes to Jesus. All of life is about this person named Jesus Christ. And we see that in the scriptures. Read with me. 2 Corinthians one twenty. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. It says this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Acts 4, 11 through 12 says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Colossians 1, 16, 17 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created for him, for him uh, through him and for him. And he is before all things and in all things hold together Jesus is the pinnacle of our faith he is the most important piece of it and Peter thunders from the first sermon and he tells people about who Jesus is and proclaims him and declares him to be the king and then he says this and you crucified him I mean I thought it was a more seeker friendly sermon you know like he could be a little bit, he had a little bit more tact, Peter. You know, these people need Jesus, you know, they go easy on him. But he says, you crucified him. You took the Savior of the universe and you crucified him. And when I read that passage, I'm just like, okay, coming off of, yeah, they, they, they really did. I mean, they nailed this. They, they were the ones, you know, crucify him, crucify him, let's nail, it. let's nail him to the cross. And so when I'm reading this passage, I'm like, yeah, you get him, Peter. You get him. You tell him what's right. And then I remember it wasn't just their sins that he died for. It was mine. I was the one who held the hammer and put the spike in his hand. I was the one that put the crown of thorns on his head. It was my sin that crucified Jesus. And it was your sin that crucified Jesus. Peter is very direct. He makes an absolute statement about who Jesus is. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't suggest it. He tells it. This message is for me, and it's for you. And when I hear that, it breaks my heart. It cuts me deep. When I know the glory of who Jesus is, and I know the depth of my sin, and I understand that it was my sin that put the glorious Savior on the cross, It makes me ask, what do I do about that? So what do I do? it's the same question that they asked in Acts chapter 2. Verse 37 says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all, for all who are far off, everyone, uh, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and they were added to the, uh, that day about 3,000 souls, 3,000 souls, it's pretty amazing. So Peter makes it very plain in verse 38. What do we do? What do we do about this? What do, we do about knowing the, what do we do about knowing the magnificent Savior and knowing that we killed him? What do we do about this? Peter says, repent and receive. Repent and receive. Repent and receive. Say it with me. Repent and receive. It's very direct. It's very simple. So what is Repentance. Repentance is this, radical reorientation of your life to Christ. Radical reorientation of your life to Christ. You're headed a specific direction. Repentance simply means going in the other direction towards the person of Jesus Christ. Turning away from a sinful lifestyle and turning, tur- turning towards Jesus. That's, that's what repentance means. It's a, it's a physical act, it's a mental act, it's an emotional act where we say, no, 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 this is not where I want to go. I want to go towards Jesus, and here's the glory of it. It's not like he's far off. When we turn around, Jesus is right there. And he's right there, and here's what he's, here's what he's willing to do. He says, not only are you repenting, but you're receiving. You're receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, repentance is quite easy to kind of understand. I can even illustrate it, right? Repentance is easy. You're headed a certain direction. You're doing a certain action. Stop and turn around and go towards Jesus. What is receiving? What does that mean? Because Peter commands it at this point. Receiving simply means, remember, we have a generous Savior. We have a generous Messiah. And he desires for us to be in relationship to him. He desires to give us something. So what does it mean to receive? It means that we join the party. We join his victory. We, com- we basically connect ourselves with his, with his resurrection. The Bible's very clear about this. It's very fun. Jesus died, was in the grave, and then was resurrected. The Bible speaks of language that says that when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, our soul is basically knit together with Jesus, and we are resurrected to new life. The fantastic picture. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, here's what we are receiving. We receive forgiveness of sins. We receive forgiveness of sins. We receive everlasting joy. That gladness that I talked about, that Jesus gives, we receive that everlasting joys, that, that happiness, that gladness that comes within us. We receive eternal life. Receive eternal life. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him shall have Everlasting, right? We receive that. We receive the presence of God. Remember, the the presence of God is no longer in a box. It's no longer in a man-made temple. The presence of God is where? Within us. And we take the presence of God wherever we go. We've received it. We receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. So we repent of our sins. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens, at salvation. That's what happens to become a Christian. That's what happens when we were redeemed from, from the from the deadly walk that we're walking right now. And so somebody in this room, or maybe more, is burdened by that truth. You know it. You know it because it's as straightforward as I can make it. Because Peter is as straightforward as you can as you can get. Here's Jesus. Here's the magnificence of Jesus. We killed him with our sin, but he, yet he wants us to join his party in victory. And he wants to give us grace. Otherwise, we continue to walk in our death. And he says, I want to give you a free gift of salvation. And if you're willing today, you can, make, you can, you can allow that to happen. By saying, God, I want you to take my sins. Jesus, I want you to take my sins away from me, and I want to receive the Spirit of God. So if that's you, I want you to think through a courageous stance on that. To See, am I going to respond? Am I going to respond to that and become a Jesus follower? Now, how do you think this uh, sermon would go over today, right? Not that well, I don't think. I mean, it's pretty direct, uh, Peter uses some absolute statements that we really don't like. And uh, because we hate absolute statements, we are the most skeptical culture in all of the world, right? We don't really make statements with periods, we make them with question marks. I think this is the truth. What do you think, right? And we're, we don't like to make, we don't like confidence. We don't like people to know what they believe and tell other people what they believe and believe it to be the truth. We don't like that because we don't want to be offensive. And we are the most offendable people in all of history. And therefore, we have become incredibly spineless. We do everything in question marks. We live in this kind of confident state of uncertainty. And uh, the, only thing that, that the only thing that is absolute in our culture is that there are no absolutes. And so when somebody comes and says, this is the truth, this is what happened, this is who Jesus is, and how your, your response should be repentance and receiving, when somebody makes such a bold claim, it's offensive. And it doesn't go over so well. But Peter can do this because of an extreme confidence that he has. You know, remember, Peter saved from his sins by Jesus, has seen the resurrection himself and is so faithful and so filled with the Holy Spirit that he can confidently speak the gospel without equivocation. And this is an example of how we should be in our own lives. That we can question what our beliefs are, but we then confidently speak the truth to people. And we speak with with this conviction. Not question marks, but bold statements. Declaring what God has done. And then commanding what God commands. And promising what God promises. That's what we do. And so instead of suggesting that something is true... We declare it. The Bible talks a lot about declaration. Instead of inviting someone to be involved in something, we command them with the commands of the Scripture. I command you to repent. I command you to receive. I desperately want you to do this. And we don't peddle the Word of God as if it was just a self-help book of advice. But we declare and stand on the promises of God knowing that He will do what He says that He will do. The Bible isn't 10 steps to a better life. It's the promise of God for salvation. And we should no longer peddle the word of God like that, but speak truth like like it's spoken in the scripture. And so if you're a believer uh, here today, just a couple things that I want you to think about this week, okay? The first is, how can you declare the majesty of Christ this week? How can you declare the majesty of Christ this week, like Peter has with your, with your mouth. Actually speak it to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers. Take an opportunity at some time this week to actually declare who Jesus is. Speak it. Speak it with definition, with a statement. Don't suggest it, state it. Declare who Jesus is. Secondly, command repentance in your own life. Command repentance in your own life and get this, I know this is offensive, And in the lives of others. Command repentance in your own life and in the life of others. Now you're going to do that with a lot of grace, because you're not Peter. (laughs) Right? You're going to do that with a lot of grace, but you should command repentance specifically first in your own life, that you're turning from your sin, whatever that might be, and that you're commanding it in others' lives. Believers, as partners in the gospel, we should be able to speak into each other's lives with some faith. Right? Right? And accept those truths. We're so offendable. Even with partners. Even with our friends. Where we're so scared to speak into each other's lives. We get offended by our own friends. But you know a true friend is going to see something in your life that's sin and point it out to you. And say hey how can I pray for you and work this out with you. That's a true friend. That's a true Christian friend. And so accept that. Speak repentance into other people's lives. And thirdly. Stand on the promises of God. And here's how you do that. Stand on the promises of God. When you're reading your scripture, we're we're heavy in the scripture at the Church of Cane Bay. We really want you to read the Bible. want you to read it on your own. We want you to read it with other people in what we call huddles, okay? And uh, if you're not in a huddle, I want you to uh, speak with one of our staff members or maybe a missional community leader about how to get into a huddle and what that even means. But here's what I want you to do. When you're in your scripture this week and you're reading anywhere in the Bible at all, stop and ask the question, what's the promise of God within this scripture? What's the promise of God? There's thousands of them, and they're all true, and they will all, come, they will all come to fruition because God always keeps his promises. It's not advice for you. It's a promise. So we stand on those promises. So declare the majesty of Christ, command, uh, command repentance, and then stand on God's promises this week. All right? That's what I want you to do. This is how I want you to apply this passage. Okay? Now, here's the deal. If you're not a believer in this, in the, in this room, if you're not a Jesus follower, you just heard a very clear statement about who Jesus is and how you should respond to that by repenting and receiving. And that grace is available for you today, right now. And so what I want you to do is in just in the next few moments, if you are burdened by this, if your heart is broken and cut by this, I want you to come and talk to me. I'm going to stand right in the back of the room, so while everybody's standing up, we're going to sing one last song about how, G- how the Holy Spirit works and uh, how, we're going to, how we're going to walk in faith together. I mean, I want you to come. I want you to slip out of your seat. I want you to come talk to me because I want to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus. We can pray together, and you can receive the Holy Spirit. Just to, to proclaim your repentance, and God is going to give you grace in that. So I want you to do that. Will you do that? I want you to do that. Okay, let's pray together. Father God, you are incredibly faithful to us. There are those in this room who are not followers of your son Jesus. So God, I pray that you would burden their heart even now. That they need to respond. They need that life-giving power. It's not a hoax. It's not a game. It's not just a luck is truth and has eternal value. So God, I pray that you would burden hearts today to respond. Respond to the truth of the gospel. Knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Christ. So I pray that you would do that. For the believers in this room, Father, I pray that they would be bold in their declaration of who you are. That this week that they would repent of sin, walk with you. And as they read the scripture, that they would memorize, that they would know the promises that you, that you have for them, and that, you would, that, that they would stand on those promises. That they would declare them, know you in a deeper way. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for being our everlasting king who is greater, stronger than any other. Jesus, we worship you and I pray that you would burden hearts. In your name we pray, amen.